and welcome to Devious Motives Season 3, the 22 big stories and issues leading up to the 22 election as we'll be documenting the ebbs and flows of how this stuff is going between now and right up to Election Day. We may even do a, a post-mortem uh, once we know what the results look like in this upcoming midterm election. It's important to understand what the core issues are in this election. You have a third of the Senate up for election. You have the entirety of the House of Representatives up for election. And you've got a good percentage of seats open in this midterm year in the governor's mansions and in state offices around the country. It is interesting to see the issues that are sort of percolating there under the surface. Uh, you know most of them already, including, of course, inflation and the economy, the border, policing and public safety, climate change, defense of the democracy, and a myriad of other issues that are also at the same time being driven inside states themselves. But we know really what's going on here uh, in this upcoming election. It's a proxy war. It's a proxy war, by and large, by two main actors. President Joe Biden will be up for re-election in 2024. And, of course, former President Donald Trump, who continues to campaign, though not an admitted or declared candidate for the presidency in 2024. He's still out there doing a whole lot of rallies. Uh, he's got his uh, Truth Social app and uh, is messaging to his constituency in as much as the president is as well. So there's a proxy fight happening. Oh, and I left somebody else out. And it's interesting because Dick Morris, who once upon a time was on the ins with the Clinton team, now on the outs with the Clinton team, but on the ins with Donald Trump. He's written a book. It's been published by Newsmax called The Return. You can find it in bookstores or at Amazon, places like that. I'm only informing you of this. I'm not trying to sell you the book, though I have read the book and I think it's interesting. What Dick Morris has introduced in these uh, last days over the weekend was a look at where Hillary Clinton may try to uh, shape up. Let me save you the trouble of his theory because I can explain it to you in about 20 seconds. Dick Morris believes that Hillary Clinton will try to run in a center lane in 2024, splitting the difference between Joe Biden and Donald Trump. Hillary Clinton has been talking a lot since 2016 and her defeat to former President Trump about the issues involving uh, election security, uh, big tech media abuses, disinformation, and then you throw in the, uh, the myriad issues that have come up as a result of uh, Donald Trump's presidency, his aftermath uh, after January the 6th and leaving Washington, D.C. to start his private life. All of these things have been mixed in here. And what former Secretary of State, former Senator, former First Lady of the United States, Hillary Clinton, is looking to do is carve a path right up the middle. She's banking on a repudiation of the progressive wing of the Democratic Party, typically personified by, of course, you know, uh, AOC, uh, the squad um, and their allies, plus a couple of uh, liberals there in the Senate 
as the reason why the Democrats will be losing influence and power as you get closer to this election. We're going to unpack all of this as we move uh, day to day and pretty much real time. It's going to be a real time uh, uh, program here where we're going to take the issues of the day, unpack them and understand what the implications are for the rest of the country. Interesting interview, though, with Governor Roy Cooper. He's the governor of North Carolina. He's been rumored in some corners to potentially be a presidential candidate in 2024, maybe beyond that point. But he's the chairman of the Democrat Governors Association. You have a DGA, you have an RGA, you have the Democratic Governor uh, uh, Association. And, and of course, you've got the RGA, uh, you know, looking at uh, the issues that are uh, of concern for conservatives. The Republican Governors Association, by the way, just for your knowledge, is uh, chaired by Bill Lee, a very popular governor in the state of Tennessee, and his policy vice chair, sort of his 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 vice uh, president in the organization, but uh, is Tate Reeves out of uh, Mississippi. But he carries with him a number of fairly high profile uh, governors that are also working as well. This goes to the other proxy war issue, right? You're, you're looking at uh, these different elements that are happening uh, in real time around the country. Let me go back to Governor Roy Cooper. He's widely regarded as uh, an unusual character inside the Democratic Party. He's typically looked at as a moderate, somebody who is not a uh, bomb thrower or a firebrand of any kind, though he is certainly committed to the Democratic agenda, especially as it relates to things like climate change and a border policy and things like that. Roy Cooper knows where his bread is buttered. Uh, over the weekend, he did an interview with Chuck Todd over at Meet the Press and uh, said, North Carolina has had a front row seat when it comes to the effects of climate change. And uh, we are making sure that we've become a clean energy uh, safe haven and that we are paying attention to resiliency. I've done a climate risk assessment and resiliency plan. You have to make tough decisions when you rebuild. So what you got from Governor Roy Cooper was somebody who's clearly staking out the climate change angle as a potential winner for Democrats. In the last number of years, especially with the expense of gasoline going up, uh, most recently in the last year and a half, uh, people have been concerned that climate policy is too much of a boat anchor as it relates to uh, the direction of North Carolina, uh, any other state in the rest of the country that's sort of regarded as a swing state. Certainly climate change is a much bigger issue in North Carolina than it is in South Carolina. It's a much bigger issue in North Carolina than it is in Texas. Uh, these are all uh, different sort of components here. But Here's what else he acknowledged in an interview with Chuck Todd, and I think it's fascinating. It sounds to me like Governor Roy Cooper is well aware that some Democrat governors are going to be in jeopardy in this upcoming midterm. We've got a lot of incumbents to defend because in 2018, Democratic governors did well. And it's really important that we have Democratic governors across this country, particularly when you look at the effects of the U.S. Supreme Court. What we thought were constitutional rights and freedoms are now going to be tossed to state capitals and right. state legislatures. And it matters. 
who your governor is. So we think that we have okay. a good chance even for pickups, not just defending our area, but for pickups as well. Now, I bring all of this up only because it's important to understand this is three-dimensional chess that's being played out. These are just the domestic politics of the United States, but certainly we can look at human nature and kind of digest what it is we're seeing out there around the world. Maloney being um, uh, elected in Italy just in the last couple of weeks. You've got Lula versus Bolsonaro down in Brazil. People are looking at this globally, but it's ultimately going to be your pocketbook, your personal security, and of course, uh, your particular issues that are going to matter the most in this upcoming election. Politics is never practiced in a vacuum, and that's a substantially important point. If you think that a person uh, gets caught in a scandal and it merely stays with that person, that's not the case with politics in 2022. That wasn't the case with politics in 1982 or 1962. Politics is a living, breathing dynamic in our country. What is so interesting is to look at party affiliations and then to try to compare those party affiliations to where these folks are across the spectrum of their lifetime. Start out young. Maybe you're progressive and liberal. You have some children. You get married. You're in a relationship that's committed. Suddenly now you're going to have a whole set of different priorities than you did when you were 17 or 18 years old. And when you're 45, you're going to have a different set of priorities than when you're 65. In fact, you could look at a bouncing uh, schedule here and say, okay, I'm going to be liberal when I'm young. I want the student loans. You still want a little bit of that student loan action, but you want to keep more of your tax dollars while you're raising your family. And then suddenly, as you move from that 45 to 65 uh, bracket, what are you concerned about? Medicare, Social Security, the cost of living, all those sorts of things. People are not static when it comes to politics and that's why we're doing the show the way we are today we are tracking the issues in real time coming up what you need to know about today and tomorrow i'm brett witterbull this is devious motives 22 to 2022 back after this welcome back it is devious motives season number three 22 to 22 what we're doing is we're tracking over the next 22 days up until election day what it is that's mattering to you and to so many others so we'll be uh chasing down these different dynamics and breaking down the stories that we think it's important for you to understand i'm brett witterbull and it is uh, great to be with you one of the penultimate topics that's out there right now, and I mean a huge, huge issue, it will not go away, is, of course, the student loan giveaway, right? Well, just in these last uh, hours, an op-ed piece ran out in the uh, New York Post. Biden calls retreat on student loan giveaway. Biden's rollback of student loan forgiveness plan pulls up the curtains on his Potemkin White House. Now, I talked to you in that last segment about the way uh, different folks are going to change uh, their politics based on uh, a given time in their lives. One thing that's almost universal in this country, and it's a value, I, I do believe, uh, by and large, the majority of people look at the responsibility of paying back your debts, paying back what you owe um, as, as pretty much a universal value. 
It's important to understand because if we all decided we weren't going to pay back our, our debts, uh, eventually the, the lending sector would just collapse. You wouldn't be able to go out there to a bank or to a credit union or uh, some private institution and borrow money because it just wouldn't be paid back. The purpose of borrowing money is to pay it back with interest so that those institutions can, yes, profit, but also make available monies for uh, other folks who want to uh, start a business, buy a vehicle, buy a home, get a college education, you name it. And the federal government is front and center involved in this. In fact, they they drove out all the private lenders, for the most part, the big banks, uh, in the early part of this century. But nevertheless, the Biden student payback plan has uh, hit with almost universal uh, opposition. Even folks who are applying for it feel like they shouldn't be applying for it. Why, your your loyal host right here, Brett Witterbull at WBT, uh, had to pay off his student loans and only did so in the last month or so. I made my final payment. I suddenly have my degree free and clear. It's like having a mortgage, except you can sell a house for a profit can't really sell a degree for a profit, but I digress. The fact of the matter is people understand that when you borrow money, you got to pay it back. Well, Joe Biden has now changed the rules of this uh, student loan payback plan because there were threats of lawsuits. Those lawsuits may still happen, by the way. Uh, Public Interest Legal Foundation uh, is is one of the groups that I've heard uh, is, is questioning this. A couple of other folks, including the Pacific Legal Foundation, they're looking at this as well. Uh, just a year ago, the Department of Education said it lacked statutory authority to forgive student loans in mass. But here came President Biden under the pressure from progressives and hoping to boost Dems hopes in the midterms, suddenly announcing a huge forgiveness program, claiming it had the authority after all by using the post 9-11 Heroes Act. What? You know, that's really actually how they said that they were going to actually pull this off. Now, Biden said we could afford to payback student loans for these students. There was a Republican lawsuit. A couple of other organizations were suing uh, as well. But here's where the rub comes. And this is what's important about this. Okay, you have a president who now realizes he's going to be sued from here to eternity. And so as a consequence, as a consequence, um, You're looking at a group of student loans that are out there that will not be covered now. The Department of Education said borrowers with privately held student loans will no longer qualify for President Joe Biden's one-time write-off program. So you really can't count on this sort of relief. And that's the problem with politics. Politicians are going to promise something. Politicians may deliver something completely differently, and then suddenly everybody is furious in that regard. Much has been made about the importance of freeing up young people from these student loan uh, debts, but so little has been mentioned when it comes to the other side of the equation. Who's the counterparty? Counterparty are the colleges and universities. They, in many cases, would be able to charge a lower price for the educational experience that you may want to have at Harvard or USC, uh, Duke, what have you. I'm trying to be uh, ecumenical here. Uh, But the fact of the matter is, these are issues that have 
uh, driven people to the point of argument and a great deal of fatigue. This will be a voting issue in the midterms, and it's going to be a really interesting voting issue because the dynamic here is people who borrowed money and paid it all back, people who borrowed money and are in the process of paying it back, and young people who understand the shackling that comes to you when you carry that kind of debt. Very hard to rent a nicer apartment, very hard to get a car, very hard to purchase a home, even if you're a dual income family. So what's the answer? The answer is what it should have been to begin with. Legislation in the Congress. You see, when you go to executive orders, your executive orders, no matter who the president is, only apply to the executive branch. But when you write a bill, pass it out of committee, advance it through the House and to the Senate and eventually to the president of the United States, and it gets signed, that is a law. Now, that law can be challenged in front of the Supreme Court, no doubt, no doubt, but that's the right way of going about this process. And so much of what you're seeing in this political climate is wishes and wants, desires and needs, but really no way to construct it. The border is a great example. And coming up in the next episode, we're going to take a deep dive on the border. What if I told you the drug cartels have made 20 billion dollars just since president biden has been president of the united states because of the open border what, what if i told you that you have people being smuggled at an enormous rate to such a degree that it's actually a profitability issue that rivals even illicit narcotics the business of moving people is big business for the cartels. And it seems to be the third rail in this election. The third rail refers back to the subway systems, especially in New York City, where you would have the two rails for the tracks and then the third rail, which is electrified, which powers the subway cars as they move through the tunnels in New York City. Well, you don't want to touch that third rail because you will D-I-E die. And so... What became very popular as part of this conversation was an issue involving touching the third rail. But it's usually been meant for Social Security, meaning the elderly are going to be furious when it comes down to it. Be careful. This, ladies and gentlemen, is an early, easy to understand primer on some of the stuff that we're going to be talking about. It's easy to understand climate change in the wake of what happened with Hurricane Ian. It's easy to understand the desire of a Democratic governor or a Republican governor in charge of the governor's associations looking to try to maintain that majority. And it's also an important issue in real time as this student loan forgiveness plan, while promised to great fanfare just weeks ago, now begins to fall apart. The promises of politicians are as fleeting as anything else you'll run into in the entire world. That is what is so hugely important. The number one question anybody listening to this should be asking themselves when they see a politician making a promise is to step back and say, do I believe 
they have the power to do this? Or am I wishing and hoping and praying that they have the power to do this? It really comes down to you, the voter, and me, the voter, and them, the politicians, to have this struggle. Can they do what they say they're going to do? Will they do what they say they're going to do? And what's the damage to us if they don't? That's going to do it for me. Episode one in the books. Episode two coming up tomorrow. I am Brett Witterbull. This is Devious Motives 22 to 2022.